Good morning. Today's headlines, the Texas manhunt is over. The suspect is in custody and is set to appear before a magistrate today. Learn where he was found and what led to his arrest. The U.S. announces its plan for the end of Title 42. Find out what the Pentagon has in mind for helping Border Patrol deal with an expected influx of illegal crossings. And the Federal Reserve is expected to raise interest rates again, but it's possibly the last hike for some time. What can we expect and what does it mean for Americans? Hollywood writers are now on strike and it could be for a long time. Find out why and which shows are first to be affected. And Tucker Carlson gets an offer to join Valuetainment. The company's CEO thinks he would be a perfect fit. So what's on the table for the popular TV personality? Good morning and welcome to NTD. I'm Tiffany Meyer in for Kevin Hogan. Good morning, everyone. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Wednesday, May 3rd, and I think you might enjoy this. We have a very special puppy story in the end. It's a good one. So be sure to stay tuned till the end, but first we do have some serious news to cover for you all. Evelyn, take it away. Thanks, Tiffany. The manhunt in Texas is over. The, suspe the suspect accused of killing five of his neighbors is in custody. He was arrested yesterday after a four-day search. Authorities say he was found in a house just miles from the home in Cleveland, Texas, where the shooting took place. The Mexican national was caught hiding in a closet underneath some laundry. The home he was in was linked to one of his family members. Investigators are now looking into if anyone helped him evade arrest. The FBI was led to the location from a tip through their tip line, and officials say the person that called in will be getting the $80,000 reward. Here's what the local sheriff had to say about the arrest. The suspect is in custody. I have just left Montgomery County Jail where he was taken, and he has been magistrated. He now will be taken to my jail and uh, where his new residence will be. The suspect is set to appear in court today. He's an illegal immigrant and has reportedly been deported at least four times in the past. The Mexican consulate will be formally notified of his circumstances. The Biden administration is preparing for the end of Title 42, the COVID-era policy that allows U.S. border agents to quickly expel illegal immigrants is sent to end next week. Officials are expecting an influx of people trying to cross illegally. The U.S. military is sending 1,500 active duty troops to the southern border to help. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the move announced yesterday. On the U.S. southwest border. Pentagon Press Secretary General Pat Ryder said Tuesday that the 1,500 troops will supplement Border Patrol for 90 days. He says they will help with warehouse support, data entry, and ground-based detection and monitoring until Customs and Border Patrol can contract support. Military personnel will not directly participate in law enforcement activities. Border agents with limited resources have been struggling to keep up with an unprecedented influx of illegal immigrants over the last two years. There have been around 7,000 daily encounters on the southern border in recent days. That number is expected to rise in the coming weeks, with Title 42 scheduled to end next week Thursday. Riders suggest the deployment could be extended if the need arises. And while this request is for 90 days, I would point out that DOD has supported DHS on the southwest border for 18 of the last 22 years and every year since 2006. Many Democrats criticized former President Trump for deploying troops to the border in 2018, calling the move a politicization of the military. 
White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre downplayed any similarity, saying such deployment is common practice. DOD personnel have been supporting a CBP at the border for almost two decades now. Jean-Pierre says it will free up Border Patrol to perform their duties in the field. I will also add that this would not be necessary if Congress would act. The Biden administration wants to create more legal pathways to citizenship to mitigate the dangerous and often deadly journey many migrants take. Some members of Biden's party object to the decision to send the troops. Democratic Senator Bob Menendez says it's unacceptable and being done to score political points. A record number of migrants have been caught illegally crossing the U.S.-Mexico border since Biden took office in 2021. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Mexico's president says he supports the decision by the U.S. to add troops and that Mexico will continue to accept migrants from Venezuela, Haiti, Cuba and Nicaragua that are turned away at the U.S. border. It's all eyes on the Federal Reserve again today after three major U.S. bank failures in two months and growing concerns about an economic downturn. The Federal Reserve appears set to raise interest rates again today, but it could be the last rate hike for some time. But still, the expected 25 basis point rate increase would push the benchmark interest rate to its highest level in nearly 16 years. What does it mean for us? We're bringing in William Luther for more. He is the director of the American Institute for Economic Research's Sound Money Project and an associate professor of economics at FAU. Thanks for joining us today, William. Like mentioned just now, it looks like the Fed is signaling a pause after this hike. So is that good news for us? Well, it's good news to the extent that uh, inflation continues to come down. Uh, the CME group is currently reporting a 90% chance of a 25 basis point hike today. Um, but those same Fed funds futures markets are, are projecting that rates will remain where they are uh, through September and then actually begin to decline. Um, so markets certainly expect that inflation is going to continue to come down. And then uh, as a consequence, the Fed will not have to hold interest rates so high. I see. Now, who would benefit most from a pause or even a, um, a, a falling rate hikes? Well, you know, one big issue in the economy right now is that people who um, don't have houses are having a difficult time purchasing houses, and people who do have houses are reluctant to move. Um, that's not great for productivity. You know, if you were to get a job offer in another city, uh, maybe you would be more productive there. Um, but you would have to change houses. And right now, that would probably require giving up your low interest rate mortgage for a higher interest rate mortgage. That makes the economy a little less dynamic, labor markets a little less effective, and it, it uh, acts as a headwind on, on economic growth and ultimately the standard of living here in the United States. Right. And excuse me, what are the signs that we should look out for that could determine, you know, whether there is another um, interest rate hike or uh, or cut. Can you go into a little bit more detail for that? Sure. Well, you know, the, the big thing that the Fed is watching right now is core inflation, core personal consumption expenditures price index inflation. Uh, as long as that inflation continues to come down, then the Fed is going to hold these rates where they are and then begin uh, cutting them in, in the months ahead. Um, but if that core inflation were to reverse, if it were to start picking up again or, or remain stubbornly high, then it would, it would seem likely that the Fed would return to increasing uh, its federal funds rate target. Very interesting, uh, interesting insights. Thank you so much for breaking that down for us, William Luther. I appreciate it.
My pleasure. The Senate Judiciary Committee held a hearing yesterday on the ethics of the Supreme Court. Senate Democrats are pushing for stronger ethics rules for the High Court after a recent report about Justice Clarence Thomas. Here are those details. Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee are leading an effort to introduce stronger and more formal ethics rules for the Supreme Court. In a hearing on Tuesday, committee chairman Dick Durbin raised concerns over Justice Clarence Thomas's conduct. A recent report says that Thomas failed to disclose luxury trips he accepted from billionaire friend Harlan Crow, who was also a GOP megadonor. This is untenable. Ethics cannot simply be left to the discretion of the nation's highest court. The court should have a code of conduct with clear and enforceable rules so both justices and the American people know when conduct crosses the line. Going and Republican senators mostly came to Thomas's defense and dismissed the hearing as a partisan spectacle. This assault on Justice Thomas is well beyond ethics. It is about trying to delig delegitimize a conservative court that was appointed through the traditional process. None of the nine justices were at the hearing. Chief Justice John Roberts turned down an invitation from Durbin to testify. Instead, the committee heard from five witnesses, including constitutional law experts and former judges. It's basic to the structure of our government that the executive, legislative, and judicial branches remain separate. It is the Supreme Court and not the Congress that has the constitutional prerogative to decide whether to adopt a formal code of conduct governing the individual justices. Witnesses invited by Republicans and those invited by Democrats disagreed on whether Congress has the power to step in. So whenever we have a constitutional question, we look to three sources typically. The text of the Constitution, its structure, and long-standing historical practice. And all three confirm that Congress has the constitutional authority to enact legislation regulating judicial ethics. Democrats in both chambers are pursuing new bills that would create a process for investigating misconduct at the Supreme Court. The bills would also strengthen recusal standards and disclosure of travel and hospitality for the justices. Lawmakers on Capitol Hill are stepping up the pressure on a Chinese fast fashion giant. They're asking a federal agency to take action over concerns of forced labor. Here's a story. A bipartisan group of 22 House members asked the Securities and Exchange Commission, or SEC, to take action on Chinese fashion giant Xi'an in a letter on Monday. The lawmakers want the SEC to halt the initial public offering for Xi'an until the commission verifies the company doesn't use forced labor. The lawmakers also want the SEC to require Xi'an certify that its products do not use Uyghur forced labor. Uyghurs are a persecuted ethnic minority in China's Xinjiang region. A 2022 Bloomberg report found Sheehan's garments contained cotton from the area. Democratic House member Jennifer Wexton and Republican John Rose led the effort. They said in the letter, there are credible allegations of the company's use of underpaid and forced labor. They went on to say that they strongly believe the ability to issue and trade securities on domestic exchanges is a privilege and that foreign companies wishing to do so must uphold a commitment to human rights across the globe. A spokesperson for Xi'an denied the allegations, saying the company has zero tolerance for forced labor. The U.S. has banned all imports from the Xinjiang region over concerns of forced labor use. Sources say Xi'an is eyeing an IPO in the U.S. this year. 
Coming up, top late-night talk shows go dark as TV and film writers go on strike against major Hollywood studios, including NBC, Paramount, Discovery, Disney, and more. And caught on camera, a close call as a Virginia officer narrowly avoids being hit by a speeding driver. That and more after the break. Welcome back. Tucker Carlson has received an offer to join Valuetainment. That's the online content company owned by Patrick Bed David. The offer on the table is $100 million over five years. That's not all it includes, though. He's also being offered an equity stake in the company, a board seat, and the position of president. Bet David says he believes Carlson shares the same convictions about freedom, liberty, and truth, and is a good fit. He asked what else Carson would need and says he's all ears. And more entertainment news, television and film writers went on strike against top Hollywood studios, including NBC, Paramount, Discovery, Disney and more. The strike could last for a month or longer. What's at stake and how will it impact your favorite shows? NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more. I stream, you stream for a fair contract. Spread the wealth. Those are just some of the signs being held by screenwriters who took to the streets in Manhattan on Tuesday. Yeah, I got no show without my writers. After months of negotiations, the Writers Guild of America unanimously voted early Tuesday to call for a strike after new contract talks broke down. The Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers and the Guild had been negotiating for a new contract to replace a three-year deal that expired on Monday. Some say streaming and its ripple effects are at the center of the dispute. The Guild argues that writers aren't getting their share of the money, even though series budgets have increased. Better pay, better residuals, uh, larger writers' rooms, uh, better contracts, longer contracts, uh, all kinds of things. Writer Mimi Daedling says there are issues to be addressed for writers who create content. The profits for the content need to be spread amongst the writers in an equitable way. That We're not asking for more than we deserve, but our fair share. While Christopher Monger says that the way writers are being paid has dramatically changed over the last 10 to 15 years. It used to be obvious and transparent when our work was being re reused and re-shown on television. Now with streaming, we don't know how much is being used. We're being paid very, very little. We're making far less money than we used to make for much more work. Actress Betsy Zako came out to show solidarity with the writers. Nothing gets made without the story. That's where it all begins. It begins with the writer. And we all bring it to life. Picketers took to social media. Javier Grillo Marsach wrote, the corporations claim that they can't possibly part with less than 3% of their profits to properly pay the writers who create the work from which they profit. But a veteran television producer says executives holding on to their pay is not the main issue. The executive salaries make almost no difference in the overall elements of the financials of any of these big companies. It's not enough. He says the writers don't have to bear the risk that executives do. You're dealing with an industry where you might make 50 different shows and have none of them be hits or have one of them be hit. So you're spending millions and millions and millions of dollars looking for that lottery ticket to hit. He says the big divisive issue is how the writers get paid. If you are a studio, you want to be able to pay writers in a piecemeal type fashion. And effectively on the writer's side, they're like, hey, you hire us. We want some guaranteed time 
whether you use us or not. So what happens to your favorite shows? We have some time before the strike really affects entertainment. I would say the late night shows are probably the ones that are going to get hurt, hurt the most because it's easy to go find alternative entertainment than them. Movies, TV series, we've got some time because a lot of them have already been in production and are already done. Top late night shows immediately went dark. CBS, The Late Show, NBC's Late Night, ABC's Jimmy Kimmel Live, NBC's The Tonight Show, and Comedy Central's Daily Show all made plans for reruns through the week. NBC's Saturday Night Live will also go dark and air a rerun on Saturday. The two remaining episodes in the season are in jeopardy. The Guild has scheduled picketing at locations throughout New York and California. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And Evelyn, it seems like money and security are important issues for the writers on strike. But regulations for AI script writing are also in the spotlight. Guild members worry that studios might decide to have bots like ChatGPT write scripts for them. The Writers Guild has a proposal to regulate the use of material produced using artificial intelligence or similar technologies. It ensures that companies can't use AI to under undermine writers' working standards. Indeed, and it seems just yesterday IBM announced it's replacing almost 8,000 jobs with AI. And people are concerned that their jobs are at stake. Fields traditionally considered secure may not be anymore. We take a look at two of them, finance and law. NTD's Faye Quarter talks with professionals in those fields. Artificial intelligence is transforming the world. Fields traditionally considered stable and secure may no longer be. Two of these fields are law and finance. This is an area that is likely going to be devastated. When you start thinking about, we've heard statistics of, you know, two thirds of all jobs could actually, you know, go to AI. Uh, I would disagree. I would say it's probably higher in terms of financial services and fintech. Don Kaufman is the founder of Theotrade, a financial education firm. He's been in finance for 25 years. Kaufman believes only the upper upper echelons of finance will keep their roles, and everyone else may be replaced with AI. He says we won't really need people for things like writing research reports or analyzing data. When AI is possibly going to do it with a little bit less bias, okay, and uh, more justification behind it, I mean, it is downright, again, phenomenal when you can have a piece of technology read, if you will, you know, 30,000 papers and instantaneously okay, disseminate that information into forward outlook. For anyone seeking a career in finance, Kaufman advises having strong critical reasoning skills. And he says studying math can help develop these skills. Meanwhile, it's a very different story in the legal field. I don't really believe that that AI will ever replace a human attorney for one very, very simple reason. And that reason is connection. Christopher Warren is the managing partner at Warren Law Group. He says attorneys need to connect a certain perspective to judges, juries, adversaries, and even their own clients. He believes this is something AI can't replicate. Aside from believing the legal profession will continue to exist, Warren says there will be two types of lawyers in the future. There's going to be lawyers that can effectively adapt and utilize AI to represent their clients more effectively, and there's going to be unemployed attorneys. Uh, I don't see a future for attorneys in the law profession that don't utilize this technology. And experts agree. Instead of doing business as usual, people should adapt and use AI. Mark Seal is the CEO of AI firm Sortium. He says a key to adapting is having strong communication skills. That way, you can enter your prompt into the software and effectively get the answers you need. Faye Quarter, NTD News.
caught on camera. A Virginia officer narrowly avoided being hit head-on by a teen driver allegedly going 120 miles per hour. Fairfax County Police released this video Tuesday of a crash that sent two people to the hospital. Police say a patrol officer was approaching a car during a traffic stop Monday when another car crossed over the median and smashed into the same car. The speeding vehicle spun out of control and swerved into the opposite lane, nearly hitting the officer who just barely jumped out of the way. The officer sustained minor injuries but went to check if both drivers were okay. Police say a 17-year-old speeding in a BMW caused a crash. The teen driver, two passengers, and the driver of the other vehicle all suffered minor injuries. The teen is facing charges for reckless driving. And coming up, a 19th century farmhouse in Pennsylvania restored. We have the story of how a couple turned a rundown house into their dream home. Welcome back. After a couple bought a foreclosed property sight unseen, they had an eye-opening moment, but what they have done with it will make you want to look twice. Let's take a look. This beautiful 19th century farmhouse is located in Pennsylvania, but just a couple years ago it was unrecognizable. New Jersey natives DeWitt Paul and his wife Jean Paul had lived all over the world before putting an offer on the property in 2018, sight unseen. It was followed by an eye-opening moment. They were just disgusting. So we ended up cleaning up and moving in a few days after we purchased the house, we moved into the big house and basically camped there as we were starting to fix it up. That meant hard work. In total, the property has two houses, three barns and two big garages. After making the main houses habitable, they moved onto the farmhouse. Jean says that the previous owner had a lot of cats and basically used the house as a litter box which left behind a horrendous smell. Nevertheless, they saw the potential. We wanted to really incorporate as much of the history of the house and the area into it as possible, so um, everything became very bespoke. Everything we chose to do was very custom. In the process, they tried to give the house its character back, which was stripped from it over the years. They did it by reusing materials they had taken from their old house they moved away from. So when we took the walls apart, we had these really pretty, uh, what is it, probably two inch, two inch probably chestnut. chestnut wood that you can't even get anymore. They made them into desks and countertops and shelves all around the house. We're such a throw things away mentality, uh, being able to use as much as we could to put back into the house was a, was not, was a good idea, but the fact that it was much nicer than what you could buy as well was a real bonus. It was not just the charming interior. With that property, they fulfilled their dream of having a home that is a gathering point for the entire family. DeWitt says the 31-acre property and three miles of trails are perfect for their eight grandkids. They don't have the opportunity to go outdoors and to play and to do those kinds of things. So. To just explore out in the wild. I mean, our, our mm -hmm. little grandson, who's seven, he just wants to, he's gonna be here for his birthday this year. And I asked him what he wanted to do for his birthday. And he said, I just wanna go in the woods. In the process, the couple experienced many challenges and triumphs. DeWitt shared some words of advice and caution that something like this always comes with surprises and will almost always cost more than anticipated. But... And so it's a great opportunity instead of sit and watch TV or 
do nothing, you actually build something. Uh, and it is, it's a tremendous amount of satisfaction. He says it lets you use the time that you might have done nothing with otherwise. Wow, what a transformation. I really like that they talked about seeing the potential in what kind of looked like a mess in the beginning. Yeah, exactly. And I think that takes a lot of creativity and the vision they had is absolutely beautiful. Also the location with all the trails for the kids to explore. I know, what a valuable thing to have that for the family, right? Ugh. It does look like a great gathering place for everyone. And actually, speaking of gatherings and fun things, the newest member of Mexico's canine search and rescue team has arrived all the way from Turkey. Turkey sent this adorable puppy as a thank you gift to the Mexican military. That's for all their help during the search and rescue efforts that follow the devastating earthquake in February. Sadly, one of the Mexican dogs named Proteo died during his mission in Turkey. And while this little guy could never replace him, he certainly makes a great addition to the team. The public has been invited to vote on the three-month-old puppy's name. People will choose between Proteo II, meaning I protect, Arcadis, meaning friend, or Yardum, meaning help. Aw, just looking at that face makes everything better. Did you have a dog before? I did not. Although my family helped, like, pet sit a dog when I was a baby, and then the dog, like, loved us so much, the owner was like, do you want to adopt it? But we had no money, Didn't? so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's that. It's expensive owning a dog. I never it had is. one either, but my friend, like, well, anyway, other story. All right, that's all for today. Let's wrap it up right here. If we'd love to hear from you, if you have anything to share, write us at good morning at NTD. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Tiffany Meyer.